0: India is soon becoming a diabetes capital.
1: It's all about eating in a sustainable way. It's a habit-forming sort of a thing, right? I mean, um, from the time, let's say, a 12-year-old or a 6-year-old, you know, from the time they're born, um, they sort of eat a lot of sugar and a lot of things that are not good for them. You know,
2: there's a massive market in India. So it's hard to convince a large set of people uh, in a short period of time to buy into what you're doing. A lot of people are aware. But people still choose to ignore. Any brand needs to be confident enough and comfortable enough to talk about what their what goes behind their product. Then I saw the Indian market and I am like, shit, this, is, this seems like a lot of fun. Um, because the
1: India that I had seen in 2006 is very different as compared to what had happened in 2012-2014. And, uh, and then people were really into buying nuanced products and gourmet products. And, and that's when I decided to sort of come back and, and start the coffee business again.
0: What do you think? has worked for you in getting that early user love in a category which is marred by competition.
1: We don't even think about uh, what if Nestle or what if um you know category this and you know i I think the only
0: time i did that was to understand the price points it's a full spectrum experience right i mean you can just be an r d and just spin it off someone to manufacture it or you could just pretty much own it to give a very delightful experience be able to manufacture it consistently i think that is
1: where um a lot of brands like us sort of fumble sometimes because being able to go from zero to 75 is easy but then that's 75 to 100 when
2: the production begins. Third year, we realized that we were being treated as second class citizens. We were jumping from one contract manufacturer to another. What is distribution mechanism for you guys? You can't avoid offline. When we placed a small, you know, Red Bull size freezer at PVR, um, just because people are seeing it behind the cashier. On weekends, we were selling 50 cups of ice cream just by virtue of being in the right location and consumers can see it
1: people want like let's say ice creams chocolates cookies the moment they buy it right they want it in their hand immediately because they're craving it they bought it yeah. and they want to have it there and then i think what's really changed the game is um quick commerce you don't really need a celebrity to endorse it because at the end of the day when you are also picking a celebrity and deciding to really pick one right uh the celebrity needs to live that lifestyle because otherwise what he said right yeah they going to look at your product and go <laughs> hmm. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to force feed you know, sales just by having somebody endorse our product. We have uh, John Abraham who's an investor in the company and he's an investor because he loves the product.
0: Welcome back to yet another new episode of uh, the Rain Matter Health Podcast. Uh, This is in continuation to the series what we are doing about startups who are building for the health and fitness category. This is an initiative by Rain Matter Health to bring stories about entrepreneurs, innovators and creators who are helping build products and solutions uh, which are helping Indians to stay healthy, eat right and sleep well. And I have to uh, awesome guests with me two entrepreneurs food scientists and innovators who are building healthier desserts for people to uh, have for their sweet cravings i have abhishek from dish the guilt and i have warun from uh, noto in you know, a way reimagining what eating dessert could be for us Indians, Uh, before we get started, I ask both of these to introduce themselves. An interesting data point which most people may or may not know is India is soon becoming a diabetes capital of the world, Uh, a very um, uh, threatening and a very jarring uh, data point. Yet everyone loves their dessert, everyone loves their uh, post-meal sugar rush. Now, how do we change this habit and still get something healthy into our system is what these two gentlemen are building. Over to you both. Abhishek, why don't you get started, introduce yourself okay. uh, by something which is not usually part of your intro, okay. uh, and then get into the usual stuff, and yeah. then Varun.
1: Sure, sure, sure. No, thank you for having us, Dilip. Um, I mean, really happy to be here, I and mean, we're really happy to talk about what we do in general, I think the idea is quite noble right i mean the idea is to really take things that we love things that we have always loved uh, as children and something that we started to love after we were adults and and sort of start making it um healthier or probably say not healthy completely um i think for us from the get go the last 10 12 years that we've been doing everything that we've been doing you know whether it was coffee when we started off with coffee or um you know we were also doing breads for a little while and then it was chocolates and nuts, cookies, the, the idea has always been uh, to take minimalistic sort of ingredients that that don't harm the body and um, food that is also good and sustainable, something that you can maybe have and not feel guilty about. I think that is the whole concept of what we try to do on a daily basis and try to achieve that. I think that's that's pretty much the idea of what we try to do. Yeah,
0: Excellent. Varun. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah, no, thanks. Thanks so much for having us here, Dilip. Yeah. Um, I think for, um, Noto originated from a personal pain point, uh, for both my wife and myself, uh, as you rightly said, post-meal sugar cravings was pretty much the bane of our existence. Um, literally every single day we would reach out for something which was not the most healthy, you know, loaded with sugar and with fats, uh, simple sugar. And, uh, when I mean, I was thirty-three back then. This is a lot—five years ago—before um, we embarked on this journey. And I had cholesterol. Um, I had put on a lot of weight, and it was time I made a change for myself, right? And and I've been in the culinary space in the F&B space for about twelve years now. So I've trained as a chef. Um, you know, I'm very passionate about food, but I was like, I need to do something which is a little bit more sustainable for myself, my body. Um, and sweet cravings were the ma- major pain points. So I was like, how do we go about solving this? And are there more people like me? Um, and at the same time, is there a business opportunity here? So while exploring potential, you know, opportunities, we spend some time both in you know supermarkets abroad, and you know, try to understand whether something we can bring back, something we can build, and is there something we can Indianize to an extent as well. Um, so I think that was the early days of why and how we got started with Noto, and I think the ice cream industry, uh, which is what we do, was very boring to be honest. Uh, there was no innovation happening there. Uh, it was dominated by four or five players selling twenty, 20 rupee ice creams, uh, choco bars, etc. But like there's definitely more fun that can be introduced in this space. So trying to combine the fun aspect and the happy happiness of eating. Uh, ice creams and sweets but yet with a healthier option that was what kind of drove us to getting started with Noto. Yeah.
0: No, fantastic. So um, so quick one-liner for each of you. So Abhishek, if you had to be the marketing face to dish the guilt and you have mm-hmm. to tell a 12-year-old yep. or a 60-year-old yep. that why they should eat dish the guilt chocolates and cookies, uh-huh. what's a one-liner to them?
1: Oh damn, that's, that's a tough one. Uh... To sum it all up in in a single line is a bit tricky. Um, But I feel um, everything sort of comes back into that one little wheelhouse, right? Um, It's all about eating in a sustainable way and eating in a way where, um, you know, the food should not, like, as he mentioned earlier as well, right? I mean, it's it's, it's a habit-forming sort of a thing, right? I mean... um, from the time, let's say, a 12-year-old or a 6-year-old, you know, from the time they're born, um, they sort of eat a lot of sugar and a lot of things that are not good for them. So I think the one-liner would be eat this and you'll probably be able to eat this for the rest of your life, you know, and not hurt you in any given aspect uh, as such. I think I think that is the one-liner that I'll probably
0: see to a... Great, so a lot of kids who probably home. might be watching ads, uh, you know, which are into their face. Probably they should understand that uh, they may not be eating that for a long life. And this is something what should uh, transition to
2: uh, ice cream. No, I think it's it's sweets without the deceit. I think that's the way I'd put it. At least, you know, we talk about everything we use in our product. Um, We're transparent about it. We try to educate uh, consumers on what those... um, alternatives that we're using are all about and i think that's what it needs to be any brand needs to be confident enough and comfortable enough to talk about what their what goes behind their product yeah sure yeah sure.
0: now so uh, you know when i uh, when i uh, learned about both of you guys one thing which kind of uh, stood out was a you guys are food innovators uh, unlike in the startup ecosystems where people come from a pedigree of creating products and software products and tech products and wearables yeah you are being those people who have been behind the scenes curating and creating this uh, foot science and then uh, you know put in the hat of being entrepreneurs which is very unlike uh, many other startups so you are put scientists first if i may and then entrepreneurs right yep. um, let's get back to the origins uh abhishek so yep. uh what was your background before you started up with uh dish the guilt and um yep. What made you decide that this is what you've got to be building now?
1: Uh, well, the journey goes back probably more than a decade, yeah. So I, um, I don't know, to study, to do my bachelor's. This is when I was 17 or 18. And um, while I was, I was studying, one of the few things that sort of intrigued me back then was coffee. You know, the coffee that was made over there was very different. And especially back in 2006, 2008, we didn't have a very huge coffee culture. Yeah? I think we didn't have all of these fancy coffee shops. And that's probably the first time I looked at an espresso machine and went, holy shit, man, this looks great, right? Mm-hmm. And how does it work? How does it operate? Um, so so while I was studying at uni, um, I worked as a barista at a lot of different places. And then there's a bit of a transition that happened. I started roasting coffee. I mean, I think most Indians, especially back then, I had no idea to roast coffee. For us, coffee was just Nescafe, and that is where it came from. Yeah, <laughs> that, is, that is pretty much it. For you a lot of people in the out. south,
0: it's uh, the filter coffee. The filter coffee, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: There you go, right? Um, so I said, this is this, this this cafe, or you know, whatever it was. And um, that was pretty much it. So, so I was I was supremely intrigued. Um, I think I started off working as a dishhand first because that has to be the transition. And that's where it started. You know, I was a dishant first and I was a waiter for a little while, and then eventually I started serving coffee um to a bunch of people <laughs> uh, in a lot of different coffee shops. I I hopped around a lot of different jobs and a lot of different roles. Um eventually started working as a roaster at a beautiful place called Five Senses and Jasper. And that's where I actually learned the art and science that goes behind coffee, you know. And, and I, I read a lot of books. Um, I was lucky enough to to work in the kitchen and with a lot of great chefs. So you know, I didn't have uh, the opportunity to really learn food as such, but I got to learn it um, on the job. You know, somewhere I just feel that I was lucky there. I got to work with a lot of interesting chefs. Um, and even after I graduated, for me, um, because I fell in love with food in general. And coffee in general. I decided to start my own coffee shop. I think I was 21, 22. I was like, let's do this. And uh, there's a particular chef that I was working with. And I think back then itself, you know, we were into uh, the whole keto menu. Um, I'm talking about what, 10, 10, 12 years ago. And we had uh, we'd come up with this entire keto range and Paleo. Creation. I had no idea what paleo was. That. So then, um, so, so, so we, we got a special chef in and then the person used to make these lovely cakes and food and this and that. And, um, and then one thing led to another, and I was, I was somebody who was very curious, you know, somebody who was extremely curious, uh, especially with coffee, uh, because I was more inclined towards that, especially with roasting, you know, coffee and cocoa. Uh, we started doing bean to bar chocolates, I think in 2013. And we used to get our um, cocoa beans from everywhere, you know, from Ivory Coast, from here, from there, from India too. Um, And one of the few things that I always felt was um, the flavor profiles were all over. You know, you use a particular roaster, you roast it in a different way. It tastes completely different. And um, whatever treatment you give it, it sort of changes entirely. That's when I came up with this roadmap of making my own roaster for coffee and for chocolates. I was like, you know what, let's make one. Because uh, the ones that were available commercially, that still are available commercially, there's very little you can do. Okay, Very little airflow that you can add to it, very little power that you can give it. You can't really drop the temperature the way you want, you can't increase it the way you want. And I so just you decided to, play. to make
0: a machine? The I decided machine? to make wow. a
1: machine. I was like, let's make a machine. And what were you studying
0: in Australia?
1: I did my accounting. Oh, wow. I'm actually, yeah. I'm actually So accountant
0: an account- <laughs> to roasting <laughs> to roasting machine maker. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: yeah it, was, it, was, it was a crazy journey. You know, I, I got these three, four people who were ready to help me. Uh-huh. When they were free, I was like, call them and like, please, thoda madad karlo, please, a please. And then eventually we built out this entire roaster, which was also automatic and gave you the kind of data that you need. So at any point of time, you could tell, okay, the curve's going upwards, you can add more airflow, you mm-hmm. can reduce... Uh, the temperature increase the temperature and it was beautiful it was magical actually attended a few um, lectures at RMIT which is university in Melbourne to understand uh, the science behind roasting you know and uh, to understand how uh, cooking or how heat in general transforms food and what happens to it and um, all of this had my brain in a jumble I'm like you know what I need to dive into this deeper and understand this deeper and he started doing uh, a lot of unique food items, uh, even at the bar that I had for a while. Um, so so I think from there, I had this one little stint that I did in India uh, with a very, very famous roaster. And I, as this happened in 2014. I'd come down for a little while. Um, then I saw the Indian market and I'm like, shit, this, is, this seems like a lot of fun. Um, because the India that I had seen in 2006 is very different as compared to what had happened in and uh 12 2014 and then people were really into buying nuanced products and gourmet products and people were sort of understanding um you know okay key item you know let's let's buy something different as well and that's when I decided to sort of come back and and start the coffee business again i, I got my roaster with me <laughs> so and the best part was it hardly costed anything you know and and, and it, was, it was really churning out great coffee um from there of course we were doing chocolates as well, because we were roasting cocoa for a few um chocolate makers. Um, so what we used to do is used to like sort of contract uh roast cocoa for a lot of people, purely because um what what I've understood, right? No matter how you know a lot of people might come up to you and tell you this coffee is good or this cocoa is good or this cocoa is bad. One of the few things I've learned in my journey of doing this about a decade now, more than a decade now, is it's not just about a particular thing being good or bad. It's about the treatment you really give it. Uh, and this is something that I did with coffee in general. A lot of people, so there were these bags of coffees that people were ready to throw away. So, Okay. <laughs> so I said, okay, fine, I'll take it. And it was, it was good Arabica coffee, and I could tell, you know. So uh, I ran it on a moisture test and all that. And I was like, let's see what happens to this. Um, I bought it. So it's it for- fair
0: to call that you're a food scientist. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of science behind it. Uh, there is. There is you really
1: understand the moisture on that. Uh, you do a couple of uh, test patches then you get it out. Then there's something called as a VST refractometer, which is something that we also use for chocolates. So what we also do is we sort of roast the cocoa. Then after that, we brew it in a particular way. And then we tip it into the VST refractometer just to understand the caffeine content, just to understand um, what the cocoa is all about, right? Apart from just, let's say, moisture, right? So anyway, I bought this cheap coffee, whatever, however you want to put it. I roasted it bloody good. <laughs> I decided to sell it and uh, we gave it to a bunch of people, yeah, in Bombay. So You were so- selling
0: coffee or the coffee machine?
1: Oh, no, no. So we were selling coffee. So we used to uh, roast the coffee. Okay. And then we were supplying coffee to about 140 stores just in Bombay for the longest time. And then of course, you know, the transition happened into chocolates because I personally love chocolates. You know, I'm somebody who just I mean, even as a kid has to have a lot of chocolates in the fridge. And I can actually I mean that that is one of the reasons we were having this conversation earlier, right? It became 70 kilos was because of the Kit Kats and the Snickers that I used to binge on all the time like I can't I couldn't live without that. Self, yeah, no, I just couldn't live without chocolates. My fridge was full of that. So anyway, um, long story short, I decided to sort of make the chocolate was essentially made again for me. I, I wanted to make a healthy the uh, chocolate that didn't have sugar in it that was lower in net carbs uh, Lower in calories as compared to your regular Chocolates that you get in the market And uh, we were supplying to a really cool coffee shop um, Here in Bandra called Birdsong And uh, we sort of realized that A lot of people want something similar to what I'm consuming And we decided to put it up on Amazon And uh, I think Then it's just been a crazy journey after that for us Awesome, so that's yeah. a
0: whirlwind uh, Journey yeah, from crazy. Uh, Going to learn accounting to be a yeah. Uh, you know, someone to <laughs> brew and making machines to coffee. Yeah. Um, uh, you you got also very interesting background. Warren went to study yeah. culinary, and then how yeah. what was that background and transition to Noto?
2: Yeah, so I think um, it started off as my dad sending me to New York to work with his brother, who was a diamond merchant. Oh, cool. and um, so I was actually working on a ethically sourced D2C diamond project for my uncle. Um, I was trying to kind of help him get it off the ground because he had access to a diamond directly sourcing from a diamond mine so that was about a one year thing and then contemplating whether to do my MBA or not is when I was like I don't. I know I'm not going to go back and do a corporate job that was not something I was ever keen on doing and food has always been a passion so I was like let me attend culinary school do a, like a shorter course maybe not a degree but like a. I think I did a nine month diploma program and the school I... So the school was in New York. It was called the Natural Gourmet School. And um, the reason my parents allowed me to go to that school was... And they supported me, of course. Uh, so we're from a Gujarati family. And, uh, you know, 100% vegetarian.
1: Yes, that, so they yeah. were
2: like, culinary school and all you can't go to. How can you do this? It's like, you know. Uh, so this school was vegan-focused back in 2009, 2010. Wow. wow. wow cool. um, so their whole that that was how the founders uh, were so vegan and absolutely no refined sugar back then and i was like kya hai like you know but then i was getting to go to culinary school so i was like okay fine i'm going to take this opportunity up um i was obviously very ignorant about all of this back then and it was very progressive even for american standards yeah. back then um, but it was a very interesting program it kind of got you familiar with working in a commercial kitchen working with these ingredients and you had to also do an internship while you were studying. so morning eight to evening four four thirty was classes and then five to eleven in the evening was working at a restaurant. So I worked at one of these Mario Batali restaurants in New York. It was a Roman casual dining restaurant um and yeah I was uh, initially it was no I wasn't allowed to go behind the cooking ranges at all. It was just prepping, 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 cutting, chopping okay. for hours at a time. But uh, it really gave you the feel of what working in a commercial kitchen is, how fast paced it can be, um, and how precise you need to really be in terms of when you're charging, I don't know, let's say thousand rupees for a plate of food. Um, there has to be something above and beyond in terms of the presentation, in terms of mm-hmm. the finesse, all of that. Right. So it gave you that attention for detail, which I'd never thought about earlier. So, so I spent about a year and a half doing all of this. Um, you know, it was Since it was a diploma, I didn't have access to, a, I think, an H-1B to kind of continue working or doing, you know, staying back in the US. So I came back to Bombay. I joined Taj President uh, here. I yeah, worked there for a short period of time. Um, they kind of wanted me to do an entire 18-month training program. Like I had the edge to kind of get started by myself. So the first two, three years, it was a lot of private caterings and cooking for smaller groups of people and I'll say maximum up to 20 people, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was like kind of learning while doing all of this for myself and making some money. Uh, so so I think I, I started off my you know journey in FNB like that, um, made that into a catering service full-fledged where we were doing up to 20 people to 200 people, house parties, store launches, um and we had kind of made a small kitchen for ourselves and catering was very weekend dominant and very seasonal so we we're like time here let's do something more so been wanted to do pizza i had been wanting to do pizzas for a very long time and you know making sourdough making fresh right. dough pizzas uh baking was something that while starting culinary that kind of was of you know a focus area for me that I really enjoyed more than just general uh, cooking. So I think we were one of the first gourmet pizzas in Bombay uh, with this brand called One Tablespoon. Uh, We still run one of those stores. Uh, So we started that. I went back to Italy to study pizza specifically then. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so that was, I think, the early days of my F&B career. uh, So I think always behind the scenes, working with my hands, was something I enjoyed. Scaling it up into a business came much later. Um that had to that that time came in my realization came you have to make this something more than just uh, a passion project. So but I think it took a good seven, eight years to kind of make it into a business. We were always bootstrapped. Um it was a profitable business.
0: This is the pizza this is the pizza pizza, pizza yeah. business. Yeah. Place, yeah. yeah. yeah place. So
2: we had one in Todi Mills yeah. in Lower Perel yep, as yep, well. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yeah. So, yeah, it was it was fun, a lot of fun, a uh, lot of learnings. And I think you always kind of keep applying those learnings to newer things that you keep doing, right? So, yeah, that was...
0: Uh, and how was the transition into ice creams then?
2: Yeah, so I think, it, um as I said, it was morally a it was a personal, personal thing. Of yeah. course, food is something I was always going to stick to, irrespective of what I did. Um, just how do I go to a slightly healthier cider? You know, so I could have gone to a more mass uh, approach in ice creams as well. And maybe the opportunity there is slightly larger, but it was a partly a mission driven approach to the business also Um, make it a business. But also there has to be some meaning behind it. And, um, and that's kind of what we did with Noto. Uh, So uh, so
0: both of you guys, uh, again, uh, one went to a culinary school, Mm -hmm. one went to learn accounting, Mm -hmm. but came back and, you -hmm. know, making, creating uh, food. In a sense, if you take uh, you know, there's a massive market in India, yeah, right? I mean, true. one side you have the the Nestles and the Cadburys dominating yeah. for the I don't know, gosh, 50, 70 years, yeah. and then you have the Qualities and the Amul ice creams yeah. uh, dominating the ice cream space for yeah. almost equal years, right? yeah. and culturally, people have people have grown uh, from. From being a five-year, ten-year kid to adults eating yeah. that, uh, you know, See, that yeah. products. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, here are two guys who are coming with very opposite uh, unconventional background and trying to essentially take on. I mean, it's like yeah. a David versus Goliath case. Yeah. Uh, and these guys are huge uh, billion-dollar gorilla companies, right? Yeah, Tell me, what has... Uh, And you guys have seen few cycles now. You're not as old in the space, but you have certainly seen in terms of what is working for you. So I want you to kind of shed in few things, what you think has worked for you in getting that early user love or the customer adoption uh, in a category which is marred by competition. Yeah, this is very true. So what happens is I think at least we get
1: compared with a lot of these big brands, all the time, no matter what we make, right? Whether it's a chocolate or whether it's a cookie. You see it on the Facebook comments, you know, you see that happen all the time. But but again, I think um, apart from these legacy brands, what I've come to realize over the last several years that in India, people are wanting to try a different product and it needs to be different on several fronts, right? I mean, if you probably come up with something that has the same ingredient list, yeah. that has the same look and feel, um, they're not that inclined towards buying it but uh, but if you come up with something that has that is that is very different that is totally out of the box right but it should feel familiar I feel it has to be different but it should feel, still feel familiar and that is what we try to do as well with our chocolates as well you know with uh, with our cookies too what we've tried to do at the end of the day is we've tried to come up with all these flavors that people feel very familiar with we haven't gone completely tangent and done let's say a rosemary or something like that so we, a person looks at it and goes hai? you know um, but when you talk about um competing against uh the big boys or the legacy brands right i think i think for us it's just about fighting our own journey every yeah. single day right i mean we don't even think about yeah. uh what if nestle or what if um, you know, Cadbury, this, and, you know, I, I think the only time I did that was to understand the price points. <laughs> you know, the yeah. only time I sort of wonder how much it is. You know, how much so what's the differential here, right? Uh, but but I think for us, it's just because we, we're so vision-driven. I mm. mean, I think at, at the end of the day, we just want to keep... Um, engineering, good food. I'm sure it's the same for you, right? As we yeah. wake up in the morning. We're like, okay, fine. Now we have not added this. We have not added gluten. We not added sugar. We not added this, 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 this. Now, how can we make this even better, right? I mean, for me, right now, I'm trying to sort of figure out how can I make a chocolate bar which is, you know, 60 calories for a 100 gram bar, right? I mean, I think, I think that takes so much of our time. Mm-hmm. We've not had the chance to really worry about uh, the big boys. But, but somewhere I feel, India, because it's such a beautiful market. I think if we were anywhere else, yeah. I don't think it would have been this forgiving, to be honest, you know. Uh, because I've dropped the ball several times, you know, and I'm, I'm quite open to saying that, whether it's our packaging, whether it's our product, because it's, it's such a different product. Sometimes you don't know, because we love it. Yeah. And then we put it out and you know, we do our tests and all that, and we sort of put it out in the market, and we get all these feedback saying, it's not that great. And we like, holy shit. You know? um, we go back to the drawing board, and we sort of do whatever we have to we make our changes. So I've gone to the lens of actually messaging each customer and saying, sorry, <laughs> you can buy again and this time it's proper. And what I've realized is people are extremely forgiving you know, and and they want a good product that is different. You know, so when it comes to these legacy brands, yes, I mean, it is, now that you mentioned it, it is scary for sure. But again, India being the wonderful market that it is, I feel, I don't think we need to be afraid of anything. We just need to keep doing what we what we have to do and keep bringing that out. And, um, and then look, if the product's great and if it's different, and if we keep innovating like the way we are, mm. um, I don't think there's much of a problem sure. in that space. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, I think the one point that you touched upon was um, unique but familiar. You know, I think the familiarity is really important, uh, whether it's in the form of flavors, yeah. uh, formats. Um, people want something new, but they still want to retain mm. some level of familiarity, which Thank makes you. it less intimidating. I think for us, um, there are a few things i mean and obviously it's been a little over 4 years now into the journey but at the onset i think it was the packaging which made a very big impact um because it was very uh, typically ice cream packaging it has a scoop of a ice cream yeah, on the tub yeah, and yeah. you know butterscotch strawberry etc and it's very typical it's not um so we said we're not going to do a picture or a, you know a mock of a ice cream scoop on the packaging we're gonna have unique illustrations, unique colors, and what what is the USP of our product is gonna stand out in front of the packaging. So when people we put 75 calories, some people ask your pricing, kya hai, 75 rupees, mein hai, 95 rupees. Mein hai? Yeah. But it got people wondering what this is. Yeah. Um, and I think that was one of the key things. We also realized that when you're selling in general trade. You don't see the product from the front, you see it from the top in ice cream because you have a access to freezers which open up horizontally, you know, the door opens up like this. And uh, so you're seeing only the top. And so even the yeah. top has to kind yeah. of have the recall of what you're putting in the front. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we did, I think, which got a lot of initial excitement. I think the second thing we did is while um, there were a couple of companies in the US doing a low-calorie ice cream, um, low-calorie, low-sugar ice cream, the we said in India you know, people, un, un, and this is my opinion, people are not as forgiving on taste. Um If it doesn't, so they'll buy it for the first time for sure. But if it doesn't meet expectations, uh, then there's a very small percentage which will repeat purchase from no, us. I second that, yeah, that is true. Right? Um, yeah. It just becomes an uphill battle to convince them to kind of come back again. So we said, you know, a 20 calorie difference per cup One is people don't understand how many calories are going in a regular ice cream. Mm. Like, they don't know it's 200 calories or 250 calories or 150 calories, right? So then is 70 calories or 90 calories really going to make much of a difference? Because you have to balance out some expectation on taste as well. So we said, let's, you know, do what we think is appropriate for our country in terms of flavors, in terms of the creaminess. Uh, Because as ice cream, the first thing you think of is you know, is it creamy enough? Is it sugar substitutes that you're using? Are they giving the same feel that you're, you know, as having sugar? And for us, those are very important points to tick off. And uh, so we got good stickiness, I think, because of the packaging, the concept, and then the taste. I think that's what helped in the early days. Mm. Um, and then it, eventually, I think it came down to having more interesting formats. Uh, so, going back to nostalgia, playing on bonbons, mini bites, which were maybe being sold for five rupees. you know, We're selling them for 30 rupees today with far higher quality ingredients, of course, but uh, it's bringing back what you were used to eating in your childhood or growing up. I think the cultural aspect that you mentioned is very important. Um, um, Then we did something very similar with our popsicle range where we said instead of adding colors and flavors and building it out and sugar and building it out like that, Let's stick to using real fruit. Um, and I think Paperboard did something similar in their early days as well. So we use uh, products like Jamun. So we actually source great Jamun uh, fruit, and 40% of our popsicle is just fruit. Mm. And it's way more fibrous and you know pulpy mm. than a regular ice candy would be. But we said, you know, let people have something which is just it really gives you a burst of flavor, it's fresh, it feels natural. So I think that's what kind of worked for
0: us. I think, yeah, yeah. So an interesting piece uh, in both of you guys, like I say, you're not in a way a new category creator. Like people have been eating yeah. chocolates and cook uh, biscuits and yeah. ice cream for eon years, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh But you're kind of reimagining the same yeah. thing what they're yeah. eating uh, with a new perspective. And of course, we'll get into it in terms of why it's healthier, yeah. uh, and why is it different but uh, if you kind of go back uh, you know for the past uh, 25 30 odd years for largely this category has been khane ke baad kuch khana hai, yeah right so you know so it's mostly get a i mean fridge would have a dairy milk or a cadbury or a char yeah. or maybe a 1 liter of mother dairy ka ice cream that's been the culture for uh, yeah, for uh, yeah, yeah. for uh, the longest time yeah. right so yep, yep. taste you've kind of grown up into the same butterscotch taste same vanilla taste or same cadbury taste yeah. for yeah. the longest time I, there has not been that experiential difference what it is now in terms of eating that for the need of having that nuanced experience. like now you Mm. want to eat a chocolate because you want to taste a different chocolate. You Mm. want to eat an ice cream, not because you had a heavy lunch and therefore you want some sweet candy, but you want to eat it for its own keepsake, right? So innovation is super important. Talk to me and we briefly touched about, uh, you know, like how you're sourcing and how you're making it. What does it take to build a process? Because you're doing core R&D in a sense, right? I'm sure back yeah, in your correct, office, yeah, yeah. you have a fa- system Very where you're heavy. kind of constantly figuring it out what works, what doesn't, work, and it's iterations, you know, yeah, some correct. palettes, like you said, in South, it could be a filter coffee yeah. uh, uh, element, in the West, it yeah. could be something else. Correct. Talk to me, what is typically your R&D process looks like from how do you figure it out, look, this is an flavor which we want to launch in a quarter's time uh, and how do you kind of back engineer from days here to say okay let's because I I mean I largely come from the software tech world and I'm fairly known how engineering uh, a product goes there but in food I would assume it's much more iterative so Mm. talk to me about the process.
1: Well it is you know and and it's it's um, it's quite interesting also because what happens is just like writing a code, right you have like a bunch of things that go into it right I think with food, uh, the thing is you really want to match the flavor. So let's assume from zero to hundred, like let's assume today we are sitting together and we're like, okay, fine. Let's, let's do a red velvet, um, cookie. I mean that's that's this is what happened to us in Jan, right? So I'll give you a live real examples. Just be easier for me to tell you um, what happened during that journey because that particular cookie did fairly well for us. So I think I think the first thing we did was we we bought a bunch of red velvet pastries to understand what is the expectation that people have when when they hear the word red velvet and what is it that they look for, right? Um As soon as we got the pastry in, what we understood is uh, it needs to be creamy. You know, if it's not creamy enough, people are not going to like it. Uh, They're not going to understand what you try to do. Uh, Doing a flat cookie is not going to work. So now assuming you're at five, right? Uh, So the first thing we try to do is actually get the red velvet flavor through and through without adding any essence to it. I think the first biggest challenge we had was we were using our own white chocolate. But apart from that, we had to get the red color in. But as he said, you know, we don't want to use we don't want to use colors. Um, so we decided to use something that was more natural. We got a lot of different uh, fruits and vegetables that were red in color, uh, but the, f- the the flavor profile wasn't matching. And that's when we got beetroot powder. You know, so then you now you've gone to like 15. You've managed to get the color right. <laughs> so now you've done the first leg of the stool. Um, so, so now you have got the color right. You've got the shape right. Now you're on the flavor bit, right? So you go back and start reading. Uh, what was the first red velvet all about? You know, how was it made? Why was it made? And uh, a couple of things that came to uh, that came out of the literature that we read was um, a little bit of cocoa powder was added to the original red velvet, and um, apple cider vinegar goes a long way. So then, because it has to have that little khatta sort of feel. It's a cheesecake after all, right? It can't just be bland and one uh, mono flavor. Uh, so now you're at 30, from zero to 30, right? You've managed to understand how it's all going to work. Uh, so you start you know, start putting everything together. You put in um, your chocolate, your white chocolate, you add some almond flour, and then you add a little bit of beetroot powder. You add a little bit of uh, your apple cider vinegar, and then you mix it all in. And then a little more cocoa powder in case if you feel it's not balanced out. And then you start comparing it to all the other things. You're like, okay, fine, does it taste similar? Does it taste similar? And then what, what starts to really happen during this journey is, this is what happened with us um, when, we, when we started doing this, right? We were like, we tasted this, we tasted that. We're like, this tastes great, <laughs> you know? Probably even better, right? Because we managed to get that perfect balance. Um, it's what we felt initially, at least. Uh, we managed to get the perfect balance, the cut up and whatever you want to call it, the sourness that you need. It had that nice softness that came through. Um, and it, it, it was multi level, it wasn't just a singular pr- uh, flavor profile in general. Uh, now you've reached 70, right? Now comes in the most interesting part, that is manufacturing. So you've gotten everything together. Now all you have to do is be able to manufacture it consistently. I think that is where um, a lot of brands like us sort of fumble sometimes because being able to go from zero to 75 is easy. But then that 75 to 100, when the production begins, I mean, you say, okay, fine, you know, you've got your lab reports, uh, you've done the work, uh, you managed to make that beautiful sandwich, which has that perfect divine um, red velvet flavor. Now, now the real work begins. It's it's all about putting all of this together, but not just doing it for a hundred packets, but for a thousand packets yeah. scale, right? And um, and here is where it starts to get interesting, you know. And then you keep going back and forth, and um, and eventually it just falls into place. I think when you just keep doing it and keep doing it right, but it's always very important to gather feedback. I think from the customers to understand whether whatever you've done. Is right or wrong because you're eventually doing it for them. You know you obviously enjoy the process. That's why you're doing it, uh, and you love innovating. That's why you're doing it. But at the end of the day, it's for the consumers, right? And uh, we sort of realized very quickly that uh, they were not enjoying the saunas as much, and we had to draw back on the saunas a little bit. And then we made those corrections, right? But I feel once you've once you've done that, it's it's pretty much on auto. You don't have to really worry about it. Uh, but yeah, the zero to seventy-five, in my opinion, uh, it matters a lot because you've you've got to get every single nut and bolt in place. And if you manage to do that correctly, mm-hmm. um, 75 to 100 then happens. Then okay.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the same. I mean, I'm sure for ice cream, it could be a little different R&D process.
2: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I think what you mentioned earlier is we've grown up eating, let's say dairy milk. We've grown up eating milk chocolate, very sweet chocolates. Yeah. Right. Um, we've grown up eating butterscotch ice creams, right? Strawberry ice cream, but not really taste of yeah. strawberry. Yeah. Right? It's it's, a, it's some flavor which... It's nice, but it's it's something else. So uh what what I what I've noticed is change is very slow in getting I think your palate evolving is a process. And I think but I do think what we used to eat, we don't always eat the same thing anymore. Yeah. Um so dark chocolate has become a thing today. Um, or less sweet chocolate, slightly more bitter chocolate, yeah is far more acceptable today yeah. than it was even six, seven, eight years ago. Right, kids these days eat dark chocolate as well, right? Because they're growing up eating that now yeah. <laughs> uh, because of availability and they're able to develop their palate much sooner. Uh, I think salted caramel has become the new butterscotch, right? In a in a sense, right? It's it's slightly more evolved, slightly more nuanced. Um, so that's what we wanted to cater to, that audience, which is looking for something more, is looking for something different, slightly more evolved. And that's how we kind of thought about building on our products that, you know, we don't want to go head to head in competing on flavor profiles with a big ice cream company or a big company, because we're not going to win on that. And what is really unique is just the USP is about a product or just the healthier angle of the product's not good enough, I think. Uh, there needs to be something more. Um, and I think what was also kind of gets forgotten in industrialization and commercialization of any food product is you know, you stray away from using natural ingredients or as close to less processed ingredients uh, because of convenience, right? It's easier to use flavors and colors over actually using fruits and actual chocolate and actual cocoa powders versus using flavors, right? So we said it's going to take a hell of a lot more effort by doing all to do this, but then the product is able to speak for itself and then you don't have to post feed marketing hmm. to a consumer and say buy my product or slap it in the consumer's face and say your marketing spends definitely come down by what you're being able to be a good product, a, a yeah, good product right agree, so yeah. uh, I think the other data point we obviously look at is uh, which are the best moving flavors in ice cream in a particular category in a particular format what is our spin on this going to be okay um uh, then how the same thing how are we going to build that out from an r&d stage um, the 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 actual com, the actual production is always the most complex because nobody on the floor wants to take up something new right yeah, that's they're already true, so yeah. ingrained in a process and yeah. with every like we have probably five different kinds of ice cream bases that we make today Uh, with very small nuances, but for the team on the ground, it's a headache, like, though ingredient change temperature change right? And then for them to keep a track of those SOPs and make sure we're able to deliver the consistent product. Um, But I think the big step we took was uh, taking over our own plant. We were earlier doing contract manufacturing and product IP was getting leaked a little bit. Uh, Quality was not as good as we would have liked. And most importantly, we weren't able to turn around things from R&D to launch in a very short time, which is what we've been kind of able to do now with having our own facility. Yeah. So that's been a very big help.
0: And, uh, uh, you know, this, um, that's an uh, interesting bit, right? I mean, um, there's always this constant if between whether you ret- be a brand or you become an R&D company, or yeah. Yeah, this is you Boston also own thing. the manufacturing stake. Yeah. I think it's a full spectrum experience, yeah, right? Yeah, you can yeah. just be an R&D and just spin it off someone yeah. to manufacture it.
2: Yeah.
0: Or you could just pretty much own it to give a very delightful experience because there's nuanced aspects across, yeah. right? Uh, do you think in today's world to get that delightful experience yeah. uh, and it not necessarily has to be good or bad in your perspective, is it depending on stage you are does it then therefore some a new entrepreneur has to decide that they have to own it or they can be fragmented and disjointed
1: look I'll be honest I've heard a lot of uh, horror stories about you know smaller startups trying to um give away their manufacturing to somebody else because as you just mentioned IP stock you know things like that happen and I think what happens is especially when you are like you know when Folks like us are trying to recreate or create something that is different. You wake up in the morning, you want to go to the factory, you want to see what is going on with your own two eyes. Like, you know, he said he loves making things with his hands. I like to sort of do something very similar with, you know, with my hands, with my head, with everything, right? So it's very important for us to sort of go to the factory and, and see what is going on uh, from, you know, zero to that hundred. And, and then more than that, I think, because it's also passion that has gone converted into business and not just a business that we're trying to run. Um we will be involved or we'd like to be involved in that every little nut and bowl that goes into it. And think when you give it away to somebody, um, I'm not really sure if the contract manufacturer really puts in that extra level of uh, work because at the end of the day, right, uh, small little things like, you know, like roasting of the cocoa might change the entire flavor profile. Now you can't really trust the person. I, I mean, you can, but you're not, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't, don't sleep easy at night knowing that we're <laughs> giving And then that, I think that just becomes easier once you've become a lot bigger yeah. and you can have X number of people with the contract manufacturer while the manufacturing is happening. But I feel uh, given the state of the business where you're really trying to grow, um, contract manufacturing, in my opinion, um, does not really help the business in any given way. Is it
0: agnostic to what stage you are, you mean? Uh, sort of is. Okay.
1: Um, I, I personally feel if you have um, access to your own manufacturing facility, you you and, and every single day, you sort of just wake up to do something new and something different, right? And if something goes wrong, uh, and if something isn't right, um, it's just easier for you to control the narrative there and then. So I don't know, I'm a big believer that if you're manufacturing everything in-house, um, and you, I think you can do it for the longest time until you reach a stage where you're, trying, you're, you're like, okay, fine, I can't do this anymore, right? Um, especially when you're creating something so different, right? And as I said, you know, you're trying to create this this chocolate that is 60, on 100. And, and I don't know, I have to have the heart for somebody else to sort of do it. Because if something goes wrong, and it's not a 60 on 100, yeah. then things go out, out of lack, right? Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, so I mean, um, I think today for us, I think it makes sense. Um, in the early days, I'm not so sure because one is capex costs. Um, in our case, while it wasn't very significant, at that point, I didn't have that much bootstrap capital available, I decided to put that money into building the brand. I think I put in 50, 60 lakhs with my own money in the first year, pre-launch and the six months into launch. And since it was only that much pool that was available, um, those were my priorities. Um, And I think it did come with a certain compromise for sure. Um, I think also depends on the product, right? If you're making a very industrial type product, you need industrial equipment. Uh, Let's say it's cereals or let's say it's, you know, uh, dry, dry mixes for pancake batter, something like that. Um, Kind of hard to do that in-house or it may not make sense to do it in-house in the early days, at least, because some of these machines can cost crores of rupees. And, you know, it's until you know whether there's a proven fit for what you're doing. um, It's, you know, it's a risk then that you're taking. It's a big risk. Because uh, the machine is just gets getting devalued if you can't use it or put it to use. So, uh, But today, of course, I think, uh, so the third year, we realized that we were being treated as second-class citizens. We were jumping from one contract manufacturer to another. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not getting the stock in time, uh, quality problems, etc. Even though we had deployed two pe- people from our own team based out of the contract manufacturer's mm-hmm. facility. Wow. I mean, otherwise, it would have been a complete yeah, mess yeah, uh, yeah, so without that. So. List. Uh, this had it still had its own set of headaches. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we said, let's now move this in house and our volumes are also picked up enough wherein, you know, okay. while plant utilization is still not uh, where we want it to be, it's not terrible either. So yeah. we're able to kind of absorb some of those overheads of running the yeah. facility um yeah so i think that's that's okay. that's the way i would look at
1: yeah. it out, yeah. i think for me i think when we started off chocolates in general right we started it off in like a 150 square feet area okay. we had like a four thousand rupee mm-hmm. a small little coffee roaster <laughs> and um and i i think i just did not really worry about building the brand i think i i went completely the, in the other direction i was like product product product, product like yeah. I, I remember when i started packing for me we didn't know, we didn't have a vendor for packing. Yeah. So uh-huh. what I was, what, I, what we started doing was, we were, we got these handmade papers. Yeah. And we used to print on them and then cut it back. <laughs> <and then laughs> nice. i not getting serious, that's what we did for almost six months. That is literally what we did, you know. Therefore, it became hand-rolled, hand-rapped. hand-rapped, hand-rapped <laughs> I used to, we used to tell people this actually has, it actually did have yeah. some of the other seed in it. I have to tell people, you can <laughs> You can plant it. And for me, it was it was so important. I and mean, no matter what happened, right? Um I, I think you just need to start that journey, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's a it's a huge investment, small investment. I think you just start that journey and you sort of start it for yourself. And then sort of see where it goes. Yeah. And then eventually, I think you can take that call of yeah. contract, no contract. That's, a, that's just a very different yeah. thing altogether. I and think.
0: as you were saying, I was trying to figure out it because so, you know, in, largely in the software world, there is this known template that... When you build a product, you it's more like an MVP, like a minimum viable product. And then if it's scrappy, it's junky, you can, you know, come back and you can duct tape it and you go back and then yep. you iterate it. That is you keep building features on top okay. of a base element as your adoption to the user increases. So you yep. open up only to a beta users, right? Okay. So you build okay. a software, you open it to only 100 people, they give you a feedback, build more and more feature, then go back to 500 people and so okay. on. But in in your case, I'm very curious to know that because you don't have that flexibility to iterate. You're not making for 50 people.
1: No, no. Yeah, you have, it have to four. make it to a
0: larger size. Yeah. How often does it happen that you build it and then you get a feedback where there's a mixed feeling? Right? For yeah. example, yeah. let's say Kala Jamun. It could be something very nuanced yeah. or stuff what you're doing, yeah. right? A red bed well. It could be very nuanced. Some yeah. might want it to be a little bitter. Someone might look to be a sweeter. Correct. How do you incorporate that feedback, yeah. iterate it, and how frequent do you think that comes back in your production to change or else you should be very clear with that visibility that look your palette has been locked in? Yeah. And regardless who says what, that's what the production is scale goes. So correct. How does that work for you guys? Because in software, it's so easy.
1: Yeah, because you have people coming in, then you do the beta thing, and then you launch the final product, right? You just
0: have to write the code, change the UX and the new software. For you, you have to change the entire Entire process process, cycle, right? I think think for
1: us, what's happened is, uh, as I said, you know, we dropped the ball several times. I mean, there are two ways of looking at it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if we start saying, "Okay, fine, this is this is the flavor profile, like it or not, this is what we're going to do," hmm. um, and if people are not going to like it, it's pointless yeah. for doing it, right? So, so let's assume. So we have this entire feedback thing where we um, sort of ask people what they think, and a lot of people come back to us and tell us, "Hey, you know, what we wanted slightly sweeter, slightly less sweeter." Um, then then we sort of make that conscious effort of changing it because it's it's a food product at the end of it mm. and it's and what we've realized is i'm sure this is true with ice creams as well it's a very emotional product you know mm-hmm. we've come to realize this uh over the last uh, year or so you know with the with the messages that come in uh the good ones and the bad ones both uh we've come to realize it's a very emotional product when people buy it uh, for some reason the expectation that they have before eating it and after eating it, it's crazy, you know, and and they go through this whirlwind of uh, emotions, right? So if you're catering to, you're not just catering to health, you're not just catering to uh, people who want to eat healthy. I think it's also that emotional aspect that we're catering to, right? And a lot of ads in the past were also that. If you looked at the Cadbury ad or this ad, they're always trying to target a particular emotion and ignite that. So if there are a bunch of people who come back and tell us, boss, make this slightly less sweet. We'll humbly say yes. Yeah. <laughs> sort of and is it. there a
0: is there a is there a quantitative number that you make yep. the first batch to X launch yep. it? Yep. Or X number have to you have to gather a feedback from X and then No, so we do a rate. feedback
1: thingy. So we we uh, not, not like the not, not as large as what happens in the software thing, what you just mentioned. So what we do is we have a pool of about 50, 70 uh, regular customers. We sort of send it out to them. Um and what we've come to realize is because these guys love our brand, right? Yeah. Um It's very difficult to get an honest reaction from them because whatever we end up sending sending to them, right? I mean they always say good. They always say it's great when you're launching it. You know, we are the first people who are gonna buy it. Um, so so that is a little difficult to do. So the best thing to do, what we've come to realize is we have a decent amount of people who come to our website. Um, so just just do a short release of hundred. And then then you know, we have a dedicated person who will track these shipments. And as soon as it reaches them, uh send out a message. Um, calling, I feel, is just a little you know intrusive. So send out a message. Ask them how it was. And then you sort of gather the feedback and then eventually go ahead and launch the final product. Something very similar to the okay. uh, the real thing. But but then again, you know, a lot of work goes into it, right? Yeah. You have to sort of make the product, test it, yeah. get everything in order, get your packaging in order. So Technically, what you have at the end of the day is a beautifully finished product. But still, at the end of the day, you have to still wait for the final feedback to come in. Um, and then eventually launch it. So this entire cycle, in my opinion, might end up taking about a month, but not more than that, because once you've gotten the required amount of feedbacks, all you have to do is just consistently make it. And what we've also understood is uh, the anomaly, right? Once, once, like with our chocolate specially uh, let's assume we've sold about a thousand bars, right? Only an X volume of people will probably come back and say, this is the problem, this is the problem, right? Um, and, and that is something that we are okay with, because we can't then change the entire recipe for somebody who has a different flavor palette, right? I mean, then, then it becomes difficult. But if... Thirty percent of them are coming and telling you something's wrong. Then you sort of you just need to patch it up and make it proper. I think that yeah. is what is required. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And so yeah. would be no ice cream because um, yeah, I think well, ice similar. Yeah. yeah. it's um. Sorry. No. So uh, so I've also now I'm most of my upbringing or uh, growing up years been in Delhi. Yeah. And then I moved to Bangalore, and okay. then I see that there is. Uh, different choices of ice cream just in these two zones. Absolutely. Like, People in Delhi would need a different type of ice cream. Yeah. People in Bangalore would need a different type of ice cream. So how do you then iterate? Yes,
2: yeah, so I think um, there's a few different buckets the way I think about it. Bestsellers, um, where you know that you've got enough traction going on. And those may change from region to region. Like, so in Bangalore, we've noticed and uh, b- mango as a flavor across all our different formats does really well uh, so our Alfonso local range our gelato range our popsicle mango coconut so there's a coconut oh, man, preference towards you know the south and in Delhi it's the slightly richer flavors that, and the less fruity flavors that we notice move more um, like the chocolate coffee fudsicle moves a lot um, just dark chocolate and chocolate flavors heavier flavors as I said move in general quite a bit so there are region-specific nuances that we see, but you know, it's not been uh, the deciding factor in launching a product or not launching it in a particular market. I don't think we've evolved to that stage yet. Or we have such specialized products which are very region-specific. We the second category of product after the best sellers is products which are doing well enough, wherein um, there is just you know, they're probably moving at 50% or 30%, 40% the um, velocity as the best sellers are uh, where there's no major problems it's not uh, loved by as large an audience but there's a certain audience which still really likes them and would you know we have to have it in our portfolio mm. um, let's say our spicy guava maybe or you know we have a cereal milk flavor which is um, it's a very unique flavor not everybody gets it but the people who like it love it so they uh, yeah, they really well, really mm-hmm. want it right? so they are upset when we take it off the oh, okay. menu So we continue to have those. And then there's been, I think, probably two or three instances when products have bombed or flavors have bombed. People have just not liked it at all. And we've then sometimes not been able to fix it. And we just then have pulled it off the shelf. Uh, Because I'd rather not have that negative association. And if that journey to fix it is a six-month journey to kind of really get it right, I'd rather wait that out, pull it off, fix it, and then relaunch if I had to. I think we had a, it was a chocolate orange flavor. A chocolate orange is a great combination. Really and I, I really awesome. like it. So made it the but I bought it. small peer group also liked it. So yeah. we launched it. But we didn't get great feedback. They found the orange rind too bitter. Mm. And maybe we could have improv improvised on that particular aspect of it. Um so but we we pulled it off the shelf and said, uh, So do
0: you for do you guys to make those decisions? Yeah. Is it more, uh, because you're looking at uh, the entire country as a market and not just pockets, right? So, like you said, coconut, because of this pungent, this thing might be more favorable down south, but might not be as good in uh, north, right? So, do you make this rollback decision basis on that, okay, if it's not going pan, Mm it might not good be fair to your production and your supply chain uh, or for emotional reasons you think, okay, it's working in south so let's stick to it and probably we'll make something equitable in north. How do you make those decisions on pullback and iterations?
2: So I think I've only had one instance of this. Okay, We launched a Mithai range last festive season, mm. Um. These
0: are proper Mithais, not ice cream. Mithais. No,
2: not, not ice cream. We launched like six Mithais. Okay. Very traditional Mithais. rasgulla, gulab Jamun, Malai Peda, etc. But we made them with zero sugar. Um, there was one um, called, I think, Mohanthal, Which yeah. is a very Gujarati, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this thing, uh, insp- like region dominant. And nobody else in any other city really, Bombay still people know about it. Yeah. But... It's called different, it it's it has a similar taste profile, but it goes by different names in different cities. So people just didn't take to that. So mm-hmm. we didn't pull it off all the markets. We continued to sell it, but we realized it's going to sell more in one particular city than it's going to sell elsewhere. Yeah. And if I were to do it again, I'd probably have a different branding for it for another market. Same yeah. product, but a different mm-hmm. name for it. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was one interesting uh, this thing we came across.
0: I want yeah. to get into the... Uh, you know, the the trenches of the product now, you guys put it out there that you're low sugar, yep. uh, low calorie, and therefore it's healthy. Yep. Like we said at the beginning, it's not the healthiest, but it's a healthier version yep. of True. what you're doing, Say so the healthier alternative. So uh, can you guys break down uh, the key aspects why you continue to be tasty and why still you have that? Uh, you know tinge of uh, still t- uh, you know the palate be looking yeah. like a chocolate and a typical ice cream because you know back in the days five eight years back uh, a healthy ice cream or a healthy chocolate would mean that it's just not going to sit well with yeah. your palate right it's yeah. not it's going to be sweet.
1: Great. I mean, taste uh,
0: sweet so uh, I'm sure there would be some commonalities how you both of you crack in your categories but uh, you know each one by one uh, what does it still take you to not add typical refined sugar or anything and still make so what are these key ingredients for you which goes in your chocolate SKU? So I'll be honest uh, when we started off right we had no idea that these substitutes
1: are even available Mm -hmm. so when I wanted to make this chocolate as I said you know we started off with a small melanga earlier we were making sugar chocolates you know we were making it for uh Kala Goda coffee shop there's a coffee shop called Pantry we're doing it for them And Uh,
0: you're putting normal Normal
1: sugar sugar, normal sugar Um, and that is what we were doing um, and then of course, you know, we had this epiphany where we went, okay, fine, let's quickly make healthier chocolates because I want to eat healthier chocolates. Uh, and it just made a lot of sense to do something that was healthy. Um and I think I think one of the reasons why we're being able to do it now is because we have, I mean, alternative sweeteners are easily accessible. And uh from all the research that we do, right? Um a lot of these sweeteners that are available in the market, some of them are whatever they are, right? But a lot of them that we consciously use in our products are actually good for you. And we would never consciously do something that is bad for you, right? We oh. would <laughs> never want to add something that is not right or that is not good. Um, and I think uh, to answer your question, right, I think, I'll be honest. Um, I, I, for me, it was the accessibility of, of having... Uh, let's say a stevia or a monk fruit or, um, you know, an erythritol um, and having these components that were um, zero in sugar that don't spike your insulin levels. Uh, of course, there were some concerns initially when we started using uh, some of these sweeteners because the more the more I read about it, you know, uh, the first thing that, we, that came to my mind uh, with erythritol, yes, it is zero sugar. It's a sugar alcohol. Is it good or not? You know, because it directly passes out. What is it going to do? So there were all these negative things that were there. Um, so one of the few things that we did, yeah, we just started consuming it for ourselves to understand how good or bad not it is, you, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so then just because, you know, this, this is the entire thing about um, this particular sweetener not being good or that mm. not being good, you know. But how bad is sugar? Now, sugar is absolutely, it's, it's its not yeah. good for you, right? I mean, when you compare it far to... Far worse, right? Yeah, far worse, right? Yeah. I mean, you're saying this is not good or that is not yeah. good. You're comparing it to something that is the absolute evil, Uh and this is not like the lesser of the evils or anything of that sort. It's just that it's, it's it, I mean, if you end up eating, let's say, 200 grams of it, or if you overeat something, it's not yeah. going to be great for you, right? And I think in our research, we sort of did that. And we were happy to use uh, the sugar substitutes that were there. And to be honest, now, we've been doing this since 2017. And, and um, from all the literature and everything that we've read, and we've been selling it as well for about five years now. And we feel, um, and we've been consuming it personally as well for about half a decade. Um, so our decision-making process was quite simple, right? Initially, is this healthy or is it not? And and after all of this time that you've spent, we personally feel it is. Um, and back then also, we felt it was from everything that we had read. And and again, you know, I think having access to these sweeteners, which were very difficult to get your hands on, uh, let's say 10 years ago, monk fruit, stevia, I mean, yeah, 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 it was absolutely. very difficult. I think that, it that was just super hard, changer. right? Yeah. Uh, you had no other option but to use... Um, natural sugars or refined sugar because it was not there you know i think i think that is uh somewhere where you've gotten lucky and i think what we're all trying to do over here is, is sort of create a product i mean when you say healthy what is healthy right I mean that's a real question we're trying to sort of answer right i think i think that is where we see, sort of go back to the drawing board um and we're like okay fine this is healthy in the sense the raw material that has gone in is better in terms of um your macros uh, and uh, your micros also. So when you look at your macros, you look at your micros, it's better. It's far superior, right? It's good for your gut at the end of the day. And it works on every front. I think that is where the mind space comes from. So therefore, from. it's
0: a healthier alternative. Hence, it's healthier. So same alternative sugar yeah. yeah, yeah so I think there's a
2: lot of similarities. Um, I think most of them are same. Uh, so, I, so the way I think about this is, right, access, as Abhishek rightly mentioned, is super... Um, you know, was a game changer. Yeah. Like having access to erythritol, stevia, monk fruit, uh, FOS. Yeah, uh, those too. Right. And, uh... So it, and then you think that when these, when you use these sweeteners in certain combinations, certain percentages, you can mimic the taste of sugar, the same sweetness profile without the bitter aftertaste, all of that. Like, why the hell should you consume sugar? then? <laughs> True. <Right>? So <laughs> that was all like, and this is a very emotional eating thing. Eating sweets, eating desserts is very emotional. So, but when you can do this, when you can recreate this uh, without a compromise, well, like, we have to do it. And, and this, by virtue of also doing this, you're cutting down your calorie from sugars, yeah. carbohydrate four grams. Four calories per gram, right? And this was effectively the combination you use comes down to as low as one and a half calorie, two calories, even one calorie, depending on the percentages you use. So that reduction in calories, not consuming sugar, which doesn't—you don't get your, you know, glucose spikes. Um, And in the case of ice cream, what we also did is uh, by virtue of some of these ingredients, the sweeteners itself, um, we were also we also reduced the fat content. A typical ice cream has anywhere from Eight percent to 12 percent on average commercial ice creams have um, and the calorie reduction really comes cal- fat is the highest calories per gram so we said you know we don't want someone to feel full or sick after eating a whole tub or a whole cup of ice cream um, and you can what people effectively do is they increase the air they have a higher fat percentage but they increase the air pumped into the ice cream uh, thereby making the product more economical we're like, we'll keep the fat content low, we'll put less air into the product, uh, hence making it creamier, a little denser. And I I think, from a chef angle, what happens is, um, uh, the flavors are far more, um, uh, kind of bold. And they, when the fat is lower, it allows fine, the flavors yeah. to kind of come That's through, right? Yeah, um, the, uh, through. the same, yeah, through. so especially in the new when you're doing a lot of in a country like India, which is largely tropical, um, and fruit flavors do better, um, it allows the fruits to shine as well. So that's kind of what we did. And we were also very clear that we don't want to do slightly more controversial sweeteners and sweeteners, which have probably had documented side effects. So we said we won't do aspartame, we won't do k we won't do sucralose. Let's stay away from those at least. Mm. Uh, Because we also wanted all age groups to kind of consume the product, right? So that was was our thought.
0: So, uh, you know, uh, there's also this thing of first principles that why a certain product or a brand is created and what it stands for, right? Mm And I hate to keep going back to this uh, example (laughs) that if you look at these large legacy brands, Yeah. They stand for because they want to sell sell chocolates. They just want to sell ice creams, right? But then there's this new wave of uh, innovators, folks like you, who are also bringing this narrative that uh, it it could also be healthier. It could be alternatives, right? And somewhere that stands out uh, than the fact that it's a chocolate or it's an ice cream, right? True. How, uh, for sure I know it's not easy, therefore I would ask how hard it's been to paint that narrative out to say that, look, uh, this uh, this understanding what a large portion of people have got that because of refined sugar being yeah. used that it is going to harm your health. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, by the way, this is this product which can actually cause no much harm to you. Yeah. And this can also, uh, you know, do good for your sweet craving. So what was, uh, you know, what? Uh, Yeah, what was the challenging part for you to kind of build that narrative first to say that this is the, you know, the healthier alternative bit? Uh, See, I'll be honest, in
1: my head or from what I've noticed, right, I mean, I would call this like the third wave or the fourth wave for the food industry where we are. You know, all thanks to the tech that we have access to, all thanks to the knowledge that we have access to. And um, fortunately, this knowledge that we have access to, a lot of our customers also have access to this knowledge thanks to Facebook, thanks to the social media, right? Um, so when we are saying sugar's, sugar is actually bad for you, it's not just us saying it yeah. anymore. There are like a million there's other a, there's people. A there's, a, there's a mass understanding. Uh, including a lot of celebrities saying it on national television too, right? Um, and Lathan's saying it too. So there are lots of people who are saying it uh, quite widely, right? I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think where we've gotten very lucky is what I personally feel. I, I don't think it's been... A huge challenge for us to get the narrative out um i think i think uh for us to tell people that this is a healthier product all we've had to do and i think you've done it beautifully as well you know you've actually written the macros the beautiful design you've written the macros right on front uh and and because okay. it's a healthy product and we're saying it's healthy yeah you know people are looking for that you know they're looking for uh the macros to be correct um and and we've i think we've just been lucky because we're really in that third wave or the fourth wave whatever you want to call it in the food space where um, we managed to, like as I said, you know, I had a Chotu Melanger which, which I was doing my stuff, and I just put it up on Amazon. And before we knew it, uh, in the chocolate space, a chocolate one particular chocolate, which is the eighty-five percent, was number one. And I didn't know how to do any marketing by yeah. then. I had no idea how to like do an Instagram ad. I knew how to do landing page because it kept saying, "Please do a landing page ad." <laughs> so I kept doing that, right? But apart from that, we, I mean, I, I had no idea. You know, I just put the product up and then the algorithm of amazon took over and i think that that way we've been lucky but i feel moving forward from here we'll definitely have to put in a little more work to um sort of tell people that this is different in a lot of different ways as compared to the legacy brands and the big brands that are out there right um and and constantly i feel for us more than trying to tell people that this is healthy this is healthy uh what is really important is just keep making products better you know keep um, that fourth wave going, right? Just just keep our eye on anything new that is coming in, sort of work with that, and and keep innovating and keep pushing that forward. And I think people are accepting uh, to all the new things and the changes that are coming through. So, mass, uh,
0: so basically, the mass understanding or the awareness of what we are putting into your body and understanding that and being transparent is kind of a blessing in disguise. It is. It is. You know, and and we've had so many customers
1: who sort of called us. Uh, from all, because we are pre- predominantly an e-commerce sort of a business, right? We sell on our websites. We have people from everywhere who have called us. So, you know, initially, you probably think there's only a particular sector that will probably buy. But that is so not true. When you end up talking to the customers, uh, they speak in all kinds of different languages, right? And and they they would probably know more than what you would. They tell you, you know what? Steve does this, Steve does this, this is, this is healthy for you. You're using this uh Rajgira flower, using millets, it does this for you, does that for you. So we had a guy from Valkeshur that called us and he's telling me all about uh the millets that we are using. And I was like, oh really, okay, okay. Oh, really. In a sense, it is so much it is <laughs> intriguing because I honestly did not know half of what he was telling me. Um and it is it is so cool because people are informed, you know, and and, and um and going through that effort to uh sort of Start educating people from zero, I don't think it is required. You know, all we can do is put it out there and subtly say, Oh, you mm. know what, this is there and this is good and this is what is good about it, rather than have the show. I don't think it is required because yeah. thanks to yeah. the social media, anyway, that's yeah. pretty much it.
2: Yeah, no, I think um my view is that there's a small percentage of so I think a lot of people are aware. Yeah. But people still choose to ignore. I think a larger percentage still chooses to ignore what's good and what's not good for yeah. you. Uh, I think it's due to just life, I think, just time, uh, availability, pricing. I think those are some key factors, (laughs) mood, right? I mean, it's just, um, uh, it's so it's hard to convince a large set of people uh, in a short period of time to buy into what you're doing. I think it's a very long slow process. Um, I think it comes with, you know, constant innovation improvement in the products as well. Uh, availability of those products and at you know competitive price points where people don't are comparing are not comparing you to in our case let's say a Baskin Robbins or a London Dairy or a Hagendaz. Uh, if I'm priced far higher than them, then people who are on the fence of trying. Would then maybe get deterred by price. We don't nice. want that only that set of customers. We want a larger set of consumers, a larger set of the country, you know, shifting towards these alternatives. Uh, and I think it is a movement that's happening for sure. Um, but I think it is a 10 year kind of roadmap to kind of really see it play out to a good scale. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how yeah
0: I, I, mean, th- I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, so I think uh, I've always believed that the best marketing is a great product and uh, education. Yeah. Right. So if you build a solid product yeah. and you kind of educate the audience what and why it's been made for, it serves the purpose. You yeah. don't really have to sell the idea of what the feature is and so, yeah. and so forth, right? And uh, you know, if you kind of roll back to uh, to the previous, the third wave, what you just said, uh, you always had someone who is evangelizing or being an endorser yep. to what's been created. And therefore, we had this concept of, uh, you know, movie stars and sports yep. personalities are yep. always saying that, look, you know, I'm eating a Cadbury, or yeah. I'm eating whatever ice cream. Yeah. Although they may not be, yeah. right? But that's the era where you get influenced, yeah. correct? Uh, and a very interesting, refreshing part. Uh, you know, just today in the morning for the first time I checked your social accounts, and I realized that there's no impression of any celebrity no. anywhere no. around. You right? know, no. these are average Joes. Average. average Most average of, of the time, guy. just just a next Joe person. Yeah. Uh, the face is not really. Uh, the influence, but the emotion is right. It, I mean, someone getting yeah. up from the bed and getting yeah. into a tub, or someone yeah. walking out from a, off a you know meeting and biting Correct. on the chocolate. Correct. Uh Do you think again? It's about the timing that that uh, that approach is working. That you don't need that big heavy weight, or you think still there is an opportunity as you guys scale that you will need that phase to kind of give you that lift. I am a personal believer that it, it may not be needed at
1: this stage of the business. Uh, because as I said initially in the conversation also, right, if you can um, get that feeling going and test that feeling into the audience, right, you don't really need a celebrity to endorse it. Because at the end of the day, when you are also picking a celebrity and deciding to really pick one, right, uh, the celebrity needs to live that lifestyle. Because otherwise, what he said, right, yeah. they will not look at your product and go... <laughs> 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 mm. <laughs> so you don't want that to happen, you don't want that to backfire either. And I think what happens in general is because you're all trying to create a very unique and a great product, right? And um, I think, you know, it's selling okay. It's, it's not, it's, it's it's decent. It's not, you know, crazy like a Nestle, but it's okay. Right, Touchwood. But I think right now, um, getting a celebrity in, how much value is it really going to add? I think that is the question that we sort of ask ourselves. Um, and... And why is the real question, right? I mean, if we can really get that feeling going by something as simple as what you said, right? Like have a normal person who's waking up in the morning, um, just getting out of bed, getting into a meeting, having a cookie or having a having a chocolate and has a smile on their face. That I feel is good enough rather than, let's say, an ex-person uh, coming in and, you know, doing an ad altogether. Um, what feeling does that also give to people? So let's assume if you do get a celebrity who's... Let's say eating an ice cream, eating a chocolate. What emotion does it really bring mm. out? You know, that that I have not personally been able to answer that question for myself no. yet. Because I, I just feel you do it to increase your brand awareness. Yeah. I think it just helps to really... Because when you look at a celebrity holding a particular product, you're like, everybody's going to look at that person and be like, okay, fine. You know, there is a product that exists that sells, let's say, chocolates, cookies, ice cream, so on and so forth. But does it really push out the narrative of the brand or the ethos that you're really trying to do you're creating products that are pretty cool at the end of the day, right? Which have, like, let's say, for example, in our case, it's just uh, cocoa beans and, like, one sweetener, and that's it. Uh, In his case, of course, you know, he's managed to get the fat down, uh, do a bunch of cool things, great flavors, low-calorie. How does that help? Mm. I I don't see it helping us, helping me.
0: Is this this a new kind of a playbook? Uh, Like, uh, because... uh, using celebrities? um, No, not using celebrities. Not using celebrities, I mean,
2: so we've thought about it a lot to be honest That's we've okay. been yeah we've been approached also we've approached we've been approached i think um you know i do agree that the celebrity does or whoever the personality is um, that is endorsing your brand and we have uh john Bram who's an investor in the company and he's an investor because he loves the product no, he lives yeah like, right a, so yeah, and we but we sense. haven't yet you know kind of used him as a face or you know to promote the brand at some point, we we maybe we may. I think you need to have great distribution in place first before you engage a celebrity, uh, because their reach is pan India, at least maybe even beyond India. A lot mm. of the bigger celebrities, um, and at least the ice cream playbook is slightly different, wherein you're going city by city, mm. and you have. So while we're all talking to an audience with a certain income back bracket, um, and this say, 100 million users in the country who buy brands like us, uh, we are not able to cater to those 100 million users today because of distribution and, you know, cold chain and frozen. So, it's a city-by-city approach where we have to go as deep in a market as possible first before we move on to the next market and so on and so forth. So, maybe for us, it's something we do in the future. And I think also capital deploy, right? So, Endorsing a celebrity, celebrity costs money, nothing is free, uh, whether it's equity, whether it's paid, whatever it is, right, it's not free. Uh, but I think the budget required to amplify the celebrity's video shoot, like let's like, say so we're sitting here talking, uh, celebrity comes, charges a crore for a day, uh, doing something like this. But then the amount of ROI money you need to spend to yeah, amplify yeah. that is yeah. far higher. Yeah. Um And I'd rather deploy that money into distribution, into offline sales, into various other things. So I think there's better ways and I don't think it's a must do Mm. uh, by any means. I think there's enough solid brands that have been built without leveraging a personality. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to force feed you know sales yes. just by having somebody endorse our product right yeah, actually yeah
1: i second that you know why because even if you do get a celebrity on board and don't have the necessary distribution yeah you know you'll just feel yeah, it, do good. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to work because the product's not available anywhere yeah. and you have this massive celebrity backing yeah. it and they're like oh where can i buy it oh we're not on blanket we're not here we're not in stores yeah. you know i think Correct. i think yeah and it's also, also
0: getting you know the different pieces of the um jigsaw together because Uh, instance like you said you got a celebrity but you don't got distribution but you also got a celebrity and distribution the product is not good yeah Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, either of the cases uh, you know it won't well so you just kind of have to figure out a chronology where you know set the basics and kind of keep building it right and you know we we spoke about iterations we spoke about you know uh, how to go about and you know figuring out that brand building one aspect i realize is unlike many other uh, you know physical or a digital product, in your in your case, the feature is the flavor, like in a software world, yeah. a new feature would be a new thing you can do with the same, the same product. application. yeah. For you, uh, and the age old, uh, you know, legacy process, this one vanilla ice cream, that will continue for 50 years, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just one yeah. Kit Kat or a yeah. Nutcrack, crack yeah, yeah, uh, nuts yeah. and one crack, crack right? That will, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But forever. for you guys... Uh, you would stay relevant if you keep innovating on the flavors and 100%. therefore you keep coming back because unless someone is an ardent flavor of one flavor and stick correct. to it, uh, you are coming back with a new flavor. So yeah, that's correct. your feature in the sense, right? You're oh, coming back with sure. new features, right? What's your discovery process? Because like what we said in the beginning, I mean, there is a process on iterating. Correct. Uh, you go back, you figure out whether you bring a red bread bread or you bring a mango, coconut. mango coconut, you yeah, figure yeah. it out, yeah. but you have to constantly do it either seasonal or or maybe a uh, brand new uh, pieces. Maybe every quarter you might have some cadence. Yeah. Uh, how do you figure it out? What is this new feature? In your case, what is yeah. the flavor? Uh, how do you source that idea? Uh, because building is, we figured it out. How yeah. it. But yeah. how do you source those? Those ideas? ideas? Um, I think what happens is when we travel, right? We see,
1: um, I, at least for me, right? Yeah. I, I like to go out a lot. And uh, when we do, uh, we sort of have a look at the menu. We ask him what's the best seller, you know? Uh, That is one of the ways to tell. And then, of course, you know, we have a lot of customers sort of come back to us and tell us, hey, why don't you launch this flavor? Uh, I think one of the only ways to know this is through a social standing. You know, either go out a lot, uh, you sort of explore what is happening around the world or in India uh, to really understand what works and then sort of experiment and then sort of work towards building that particular flavor. But as you said, you know, being relevant, at least for a brand like us, our, our kind of, you know, breed, it's very important to keep doing this constantly because um the entire brand is built on these drops. Now I've come to realize quite recently that um when you keep dropping newer and newer products, it definitely helps um, you know, to build a newer and newer audience because you never know where you're gonna strike the cord, right? And 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 for people to keep coming back, and, and I think Nike and a lot of these large Good brands and also a lot of these uh, clothing brands like Jaywalking or Blue Orange, for example, do it very often. They have like a drop coming in every few months. And I think that is also required with food, especially when you're new and when you're innovating. And you have the innovative uh, fire at the moment, right? It's, It's ignited. It's right there. And you want to go out there and keep coming up with new products, um, but I personally feel when you when you go out a lot uh, or when you're with people, when you talk to a lot of people, um, they'll suggest something like a lavender and this, you know, uh, a coconut and maybe a lemon, you know. And then then you probably go back to the drawing board, go back to your uh, uh, lab or wherever, you know, and and sort of start making it and then taste it and see if it actually works. Like we're working on this. Um, Somebody came, so this happened recently <laughs> there's a customer who came to us and he kept coming back to us and he called me personally as well he wants a uh, cream cookie that has pineapple in it so right? pineapple pineapple in wow. it so now we nice have to one. figure out how to get these freeze-dried pineapples yeah um, we have to get everything together right and and then we're like okay fine chalo, we'll do it Okay, um, and we're planning on launching it within a week. So it's basically, the, it's normal cream, it has pineapple on top and pineapple, you know, pineapple cookie, pineapple cookie and cream in the middle. And we're doing this because the customer wants us to do it. So so I think that is the process, you know, you either get it from, and some you get lucky and somewhere, you know, you just things just fall into place for you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Same uh, for you, Varun. And, you know, yeah. Barun, one thing which I also wanted to check with you in particular is that unlike yeah. the cookie chocolate yeah that's um, uh, that's pretty much runs this throughout the in terms of yeah. uh, demand right Right. for you right. there is this seasonal thing like yeah. in winters possibly yeah. people will not consume as much as uh, yeah. ice cream particularly sure. in others right so then right. They, how do you modulate on those uh, features
2: no we sleep in the winter <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> <hydrating>. <laughs> no i mean yeah it is um so ice cream is definitely a seasonal business uh, and when i say seasonal you have you know, it's, it's sort of like the wedding industry. Yeah. It's sort of, um, you know, like Ganpati comes, right? It's yeah. people are working all year for those couple of months or few months. Um, so for us, it starts in Feb and goes up until June. And those months, it's just, you can typically cannot make enough. Uh, demand is far higher than supply in those yeah. months. And at the same time, you can't plan to you know, build your factory and infrastructure for a few months months as well, right? So, uh, so that's kind of what happens in our case. Um, Also, it's, you know, I think what, as we've scaled over the last four years, uh, we've chosen cities across the country, uh, north, west, south, etc. In the north, winters are fast, you know, harsher, uh, far colder. And that seasonality drop is, so Delhi market will probably correct 40% during winters for a category like ice creams. But a Bombay, Bangalore, a Chennai will be barely 10-15%. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're far more moderate as climates, at least Bombay and Chennai would be. Uh, and in the monsoons here, it's a little bit worse. Not as bad as the winters in the north. So by kind of having placements across the country and you're having a fairly well-spread geography, you kind of can plan what you will notice as a dip which will come in post your best months you have a second summer that comes in october november to an extent it again gets warmer there uh, so that happens as well and you're planning launches just before these summers or second summers having your distribution set in place your products available all across and then just kind of amplifying the noise during uh the 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 main months so kind of that's how we look at it. And I think inspiration comes from travel. It comes from different desserts. Um, you say, okay, can I recreate this dessert into an ice cream? I mean, uh, yeah. It comes from like, so I think uh, that's kind of how we look at inspiration uh, in terms of flavors. Format. I think formats is a big one for us because what we've realized, and I think the mini bite category taught us this. Uh, it's around 30 calories a piece, uh, chocolate coated ice cream vanilla, chocolate, coffee, different flavors inside, is that when you can just go to your freezer, pick up one piece, um, it is less intimidating to think about it. Pura yeah, bar Sometimes true, you just feel guilty, guilty. whether yeah, yeah. it's sugar-free or not like, sugar-free or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Your piece, you land up eating a very similar calorie yeah. count or very similar yeah. uh, macros overall. But it just feels less this thing, right? Yeah. That I'm not Smaller cheating. Servings. Yeah, uh, you're
1: right. Yeah. yeah so yeah,
2: yeah. we obviously want to kind of keep building on stuff which feels less intimidating to people. Yeah. Um, it's okay if you don't eat too much. You have one piece a day, two pieces a day, that's perfectly fine. And that's also a good way to keep your sweet cravings in check. When you're having a little bit, you don't, then don't land up going overboard. Also, Very true. Yeah. sometimes I'm deprived of it. I'll go and I want to have a whole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hold up, right? In fact, so, that's, yeah. that's so true. interesting
0: that true. I mean that uh, as you were saying, I was kind of thinking that that's so in opposite to what we have lived through. That uh, you know we come from an era where ice creams were sold in like a one liter yeah. calmly pack yeah. right and yeah. with every one liter you'll get another one liter <laughs> yeah, one right? three, so right, yeah. I you know back in the days I would say that if I vanilla leene, I can't have another vanilla so I'll probably take a butterscotch yeah. so now you can you're set for another two weeks <laughs> yeah. and then you have to finish it off right? yeah. you can't yeah, yeah. have it so you're basically binging on it throughout the week yeah. and the next flavor comes yeah. so I think that's a very interesting space because you also are in a way stomping on your own business yeah. by not letting the consumer uh, you know be on the product for the longest time but yep. also being very mindful and careful of uh, how they are consuming it yeah. for their own longevity in some sense yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And
2: i think they will go back for it right if if it's something like that i think the repeat purchase will happen it's just because you sell more quantity at one go yeah i think doesn't the lifetime value doesn't correlate to that i think the ltv is far more important than the first purchase or the second purchase. So that's the way I think about it. I mean
0: uh, that reminds I mean, how important so you know back in the days again because you've lived in a we live in a world where we're disjointed from our families, yeah. uh, we are, we've been migrated to different cities, yep. it's just not uh, you know walking down to your uh, neighborhood shop or the Kirana store and saying you know pick it from from the freezer and take it right. I mean uh, at the same time uh, this category, uh, ice cream, for sure, it's very impulsive, right? Yeah. I mean, you have guests at home, and you decide you want to try something, and you want to have an uh, yeah. impulsive yeah. buy. Uh, Rarely, yeah. someone would kind of plan it as a grocery, like a you know, yeah. a big grocery item. Yeah. People would do, but most of the time is impulsive, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's uh, impulsive. Chocolate also to a great extent, yes. I mean, Massive it's an impulsive, but at the yeah. same time, it can also be a part of the grocery checklist, right? Correct. Uh, what is distribution mechanism for you guys because it might not be uh just yeah. the retail store yeah, right yeah. you want something to come to you instead yeah. of you going now true. especially in the world where you push a button and things comes to you so what does the new age distribution mechanisms work for you and do you think uh and what do you think could be a future to this well, for, for us, right, I personally
1: feel what's worked. I mean, for the longest of time, we were just on Amazon. Right. <laughs> we were like, okay, let's just do Amazon. Yeah. And then uh, we started selling our own website and the products were reaching customers late. And, you know, what you said, rightfully said, Um, people want, like, let's say ice creams, chocolates, cookies. The moment they buy it, right, they want it in their hand immediately because they're craving it. They bought it yeah. and they want to have it hmm. there and then. I think what's really changed the game is um, quick commerce. I think that has completely mm. changed the okay. way yeah. um people are consuming um all of these impulse uh you know goodies that they that they normally buy. Because I know for a fact that if I wanna eat an ice cream, no ice cream, you know, for sure, yeah. uh, I would definitely go on to uh, a Zepto or an Instamart And buy yeah. it instantly right? And yeah. this happens at 11 o'clock at night It usually happens really late In the yeah. evening You know And and a lot of people Don't want to go to a Kirana store You know They don't want to like Walk it all the way down um, And go pick it up And I feel Zepto, Instamart, it, All of them Right Have been a blessing Because You order it It comes in 10 minutes You've enjoyed it And it's over Right, and I feel quick commerce is the future, and I'm sure there are lots of innovation that'll probably come into that as well. I'm not sure what and how, but uh, whatever's happening at the moment, I think it's completely changed the way India eats their food. You know, it's it's beautiful and it buys yeah. their groceries in general.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah, and sure should, should be the same relevant for you, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I think the cat is a very impulsive in category. So uh, as consumers, we aren't patient; we want it yeah. now, right? Um, so for us, we've done like two things. Uh, I think. In food tech, there's quick commerce and there's food aggregators. Um, And ice cream, I think, kind of works in both. Um, Both the kind of categories of platforms. So we've leveraged those. And I think also old school ice cream brands are built on FMCG distribution, which is extremely expensive and hard to crack. Um, And hence was not the first choice. It was not low hanging fruit for us to go after. So this is what we do. Uh and but there is an actual impulse that sometimes I still believe is missed out. And when I say impulse, it's a big right? Yeah. And we notice this um I mean we've seen a few uh we've done a few small pilots where we've noticed that why this could you can't avoid offline is my uh genuine belief. Um and in food I think to reach a hundred crore. To build a hundred crore turnover company, one is it's not easy, especially in the premium price points. Uh, it is not as cap- capital efficient as let's say a personal care or some other consumer category, and you have to go offline sooner than later. Uh, how you go offline and how much money you can spend—that's that's a you know model that needs to be figured out. But when we placed a small you know Red Bull size freezer at BVR, um, one of the cinema halls in Bombay. Um, we noticed that just because people are seeing it behind the cashier. Mm. On weekends, we were selling 50 cups of ice cream just by virtue of being in that's the right location yeah, and cool. consumers can see it. Mm. Uh, that's real impulse as well, right? Yeah. Because if you if it wasn't there, they would have just bought something else maybe or they may not have mm. consumed ice cream in that moment. But because they had access to it, yeah. they were able to buy it. So, that's right. I think yeah. so that's, that could
0: be a good marketing innovation in the sense that, like I said, uh, yeah. this is... This is a category where it's uh, post a certain meal. Uh, Rarely you, I mean, of course, you would go out uh, and to an ice cream parlor per se, but it's not equal to a coffee shop that you're going for a a meeting or a chat. You're going to do the ice cream parlor. Mostly you have a lunch or a dinner and then you go and get those desserts. And therefore, probably, you know, positioning... uh, in a place where that particular restaurant or a cafe doesn't have that SQ, yeah. you being present there could be yeah. a very good marketing yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, know, anchor. Cool, yeah. yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah makes sense. So what's the most craziest flavor which each of you guys have been scratching <laughs> ahead? Tried and been bombed. Tried and bombed.
1: Um we try to do a chai masala. Okay, with chocolate, it just nice. bombed, man. Really, it just bombed. That you sounds had like nice yeah, to crack sounds sounds really sounds nice, nice. right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, there were we. I, I wanted to do it. The entire team wanted to do it. Um, we tried to do it, but in chocolate, in chocolate, it it was just not resonating with, uh, with, with either chai. Or chocolate, it was it was tasting like soup. If you know what soup is, yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was tasting. That exactly is ginger powder and uh-huh. and clumped up. Yeah, what you mean, yeah. yeah, like clumped up ginger powder in your mouth. Uh, that is unnecessarily sweet. I think I think chai chocolate just did not work for us. I and mean, this brand out of the US that was selling a lot of it. And I was like, "Chalo, humi karte." And then we decided to do it, and then it just did not work. <laughs> and we we had to pull it out immediately. We did not so even so it send. never went to the shelf. No, so it it, it we did um. If we did print the boxes, we, we did that 100 box wala thing. I, I don't think we sold those 100 boxes also because for the Spyton, we had, back then, we had this review thing on the website, and that was like one star. The first person who bought it, I think, put one star. The second person <laughs> one star. We're like, shit is not gonna work.
0: Rolled it back.
2: <laughs> and as a rule, what did back. you do
1: with the 98 packs? I don't ask. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably still there somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's probably just there somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that flavor bombed. Yeah, like oh, just okay. bombed
2: really badly. So chai fast. masala.
0: It sounds very obnoxious. Someday I would come and try. <laughs> what
2: bombed for you? Oh shit, man, it's a tough one. I think I mentioned the chocolate orange one, which, oh, which yeah, I sure. mentioned earlier. Yeah. That's but one that's also bit. a common thing, right? I mean, it's it's, it's, works it's not for the combination people. works, right? Ah, but yeah. I think maybe for the, the way cream, in which yeah. we put the product together, the orange rind, etc. So that was the one which didn't work. Uh, it wasn't a very out there combination. We haven't yet other than the cereal milk. I don't think we've done very uh, wacky uh, stuff. We've mm, you know we've taken some artistic liberty, <laughs> but we've not <laughs> gone the entire 360. So. Yeah, not not yet. I mean, if, if and when we do a scoop shop, we'll probably get to those really experimental, a few really yeah, experimental great. ones as well. Mm. You have like a IPA style ice yeah. cream mm, or a yeah. bacon ice cream. That, that would definitely be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely so. interesting. Yeah. It actually, yeah, I have yeah. tried it at a, a, yeah. a, 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 how a restaurant. The, yeah, how was
1: the bacon it ice was
2: so it almost tastes like so it was like crispy bacon yeah. on a salted caramel ice cream. Yeah. and it, um it was it was pretty interesting okay. that slight like, uh, umami saltiness oh, nice. okay. cutting across so the, how did you get the palate
0: because you being a vegetarian would not know what a bacon would taste yeah so
2: i mean i had to try it just because the combination oh. extreme yeah. hai so we try karna and it was not like a you know this thing so okay.
1: um
2: uh, it was it was interesting though i thought yeah I, i've
1: actually heard of this flavor yeah. i never
2: never had to never it's a little smoky as okay. well really
0: smoky, yeah it was an interesting flavor profile yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of future, so uh Both of you guys are uh, building a D2C um, uh, consumer first, uh, taking a narrative, which is not just a chocolate ice cream category, but, you know, making it for a certain reason. Capital becomes very important and both of you guys have raised money uh, and I'm sure you're going to raise more money. Um, uh, Do you think uh, outside capital is important to build a category like this or it can be built uh, in other ways?
1: Oh God! No, we've, uh that's a, that's a that's a tough question because both of us have raised money. Yeah, after, get, after yeah. getting
0: the money in the bank, might have thought you know, <laughs> know Or maybe now you're thinking you need more money, but yeah, but yeah, do you yeah. think uh, in uh, because you're doing everything different in terms Correct. of the playbook and Correct. experiment comes at a cost. But Very do you true. think uh, if you had to do all of that today, yeah. uh, does did capital kind of anchor that growth, or uh, you you could have done in so to be honest,
1: yeah. So initially, um, so I had no idea. So I'm I'm somebody who's very product driven, who's done this my entire life since I was 17, right? So I've been doing this for almost 17 years. I've only been product business. Karna hai, wo karna hai. I've never been ki raise karna. Hai. Um I think the first time that I spoke to uh, the Zero team as well, I had no idea what a pitch book was or what a cap table. <laughs> I had no clue, right? So um we had no idea. But but to be very honest, um, like, let's assume if it wasn't really, if, if, if he had, hadn't gone ahead and you know raised money, for example, let me put, put it simply, right? I don't think we would have gotten to where we had to because it definitely helped accelerate growth quickly. Mm. If simply put, right? I mean, it, it really helped uh, us to be out there. I mean, let's assume if we hadn't, it would have taken a lot longer for me to um, do things in general, right? It would have taken me a lot longer to get the right equipment in. It would have taken a lot longer to maybe get the packaging going. It would have taken a lot longer to get the connects going, and so on and so forth, right? So let's assume uh, we went from 0 to 50, you know, since the time it happened. Um, We would have been at 0 to 10 or 0 to 20. It's not like it wouldn't have happened or we wouldn't have... Like survival, yeah. so the go- growth.
0: Yeah. The cadence of the growth might be a little slower. A, a
1: lot slower, as sure, what I feel. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And I think that is where the amplification comes in for sure. You know, it's it's the money, it's the connect, it's 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 just everything as a package which helps to um, amplify growth and get the messaging out there a lot more quicker and in a very beautiful way, right? And I think that is also important. You don't want to spend. 5 years or 7 years to do something when you can actually do in one or two years right yeah. um, and i think that is where it has helped us in, in yeah and the reason
0: one of the reasons why you know why i asked that is also um, so for you guys the money race is also not to create a category category ex- exists right Correct. Uh, it's for the other variables right because Very you don't true. have to educate people that why you should eat chocolate yeah. uh, people have been eating chocolate yeah. for a long time and yeah. che- eating ice cream for the longest time right yep. so but yeah, I mean, uh, you could say it could be the uh, the supply chain, the machinery, and all of that, right? But overall, in yeah. terms of taking it to a next level, yeah, do you think a business like this can organically grow, or for getting the multiples, you would need uh, growth capital?
2: Also, I mean, I I mean, I certainly think capital is very very essential. Um. At whatever scale and stage of business might be, because if you want to build it correctly and uh, smartly, I think you do need to have a team. Uh, You do need to test out whether, as as you said, an MVP as well, you mentioned in tech, right? You need to know whether this product, there's a product market fit or not. And the sooner you know that, the better it is versus doing it for 15 years, 20 years of your life. And then, knowing, okay, I've been doing this and this is going anywhere, right? So uh and of course if you can do it in your own bootstrap manner for as long as possible you do that um you're not taking investors money to you know throw it up blow it up right yeah it is to accelerate uh check product market fit and then accelerate growth from there true. Uh, and i think that's where it helps and uh, i think having the capital also helps me do it with peace of mind where i'm able to build a team and i don't have to you know, get involved in every small nuance of running and building a business. So, helps me focus on kind of strategy and those kind of things. So, yeah, I think it's um, extremely helpful, yeah. and I think the ecosystem has really changed over the last few years, enabling younger entrepreneurs, founders, to be able to build their dream out. So, I think it's great.
0: So, should we plug? I mean, are you uh, are you are you raising more money, uh, both of you?
2: We are always <laughs> in always the, the a,
0: Maybe this could be also a plug for uh, <laughs> yeah. potential investors listening in that, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, if they want to get into... Uh, a category which is uh giving healthier alternatives
2: uh, yeah i think if it's strategic capital would, it always helps right if yeah. it's more than just capital somebody bringing something else to the table along yeah, with capital that. i think that's that's what we obviously sure so uh,
0: yes if you if you if yeah. you want to invest in you know the two uh, uh, folks uh, you should uh find a way to reach out we'll leave their coordinates it will make it easy for people to reach out um no, this has been super fun, guys. And, uh, you, you so know, much. one thing which I realized, uh, uh, which is also common, unlike uh, in addition to both of you uh, giving the sweet cravings is that uh, your life partners are also your business partners. Oh, yes, right? they are. It's They're a, not here, uh, uh, yes, So, but yeah, uh, yeah. so Tell me uh, why that's not a good reason. <laughs> I want each of each one of you to why tell me why that's reason. not a good reason. Oh God! No, because no, I'm sure no, to, no, yeah. to to please them, you will always say, you know, it's it's great, you know, this and that. But yeah, give yeah, me one yeah. reason why it, it should not be. Oh God! I have a wedding to attend
1: to. Don't do this to me. Um, <laughs> okay, so why is it not a good reason, right? Um, do you want to go first on
2: this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, shit, it's a tough one. We're going to be like, hell to this now. So. I know, right? Uh-
0: well, no, let, let let me let me go yeah, yeah. rephrase yeah, it. <laughs> no, I don't, Thank I don't, you. I don't want the uh, two amazing women to uh, yeah. feel uh, you know ignored. I mean, so what I mean is that yeah. there are few things which should click yeah. for this partnership to really yeah. work well. Correct, right? Uh, because um, you go home, you're a partner of different yeah, you kind. Work, you come yeah. back, work. You're a partner for different guy. They're True. different. Stakes involved in terms of, I I don't mean stakes in terms of equity, but stakes in terms of what you bring on the table. Of course. Now, and you've seen that cycle for a few years. So, what in your case uh, will not work if these few things are not checked in? So, why, therefore, some people should not think about having a life partner as a business partner? I I personally. So I made it easy for you. you, Thank (laughs) you. Thank (laughs) you. You You've
1: broken down beautifully. Thank you. the initial question was a little tricky, uh, but but yeah, see what I feel, um, what's worked for us right in general is I'm somebody who's just focused on one end of the business. It's just, you know, your mm. product and the business and, you know, let's say the finances or whatever it is, the next factor, right? And um, she's let me do that. You know, she's let me go through my crazy process of trying to build all these crazy things. You know, we built another roaster for cocoa, for the cocoa beans that we have. Um, and then, you know, I, I go there, I try making these crazy cookies. She will not interfere in the process at all. She'll probably taste it and say, yeah, but that is where the conversation will end. She'll not come in and say, oh, you know, add more of that or do more of this or, you know, uh, never, never, never. she let me do that, right? And I will not interfere in her process, which is ops, which is just pretty much running the factory. Which is really having, uh, you know, meetings with the HR, meetings with the accountant, um, seeing to it that uh, the staff is operating properly, getting their KPIs in order. Um, The entire nuts and bolts of the factory is actually looked at by her, you know, and I will not, I will not step in. You know, if she comes to me for advice, I'll probably give it. uh, And if she has something to tell me, I'll probably hear her out. Uh, But I let her fix that problem and take care of that element of the business. And I would probably just take care of the other side of the business that is just, you know your products and this and that and the other. And I think, I think having this division makes it easier. Otherwise, the other person will start feeling you're stepping on their toes. Uh, and, and even either way, it's not really enjoyable then, right? And if you have this clear divide where, okay, I'm going to take care of this, you take care of this, but advise each other at the end of the day and you can have a great conversation, dinner table, co- co- dinner table conversation or you know, right before you sleep, that, oh, you know, this is what I did, or this is what happened and this is what we can yeah. do. Um, I feel having that divide helps. And then somewhere down the road, your partner also starts becoming a big support for you because you're seeking advice from that person. And two people are not meddling into one thing. And I don't think that is required. So I feel yeah, that so, has helped me.
0: Yeah. So for the record, uh, she here is Lipika. Yeah. And uh, she, is Lipika, she yes. for uh, Noto is. Um, uh, Ashni, Ashni. Ashni. Yeah. So uh, great women, great entrepreneurs, yeah, uh, where, uh, who who are uh, doing as good as the gentlemen. Oh, but tell better, me, where does the better. buck stop for <laughs> Dish the Guild? Is it uh, is it uh, you or is it Lipika?
1: Where does the sorry? Does where does
0: the buck stop? Who who pulls the final decision making? Uh, she. Okay, hundred percent. we're playing know. safe, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think, that, <laughs> I think it, in our case, it depends on like decision. Yeah. Only if it's very specific branding related decision, then it's Ashni. Other things, it's me. Um, I think the only challenge is really like going back home and not being able to switch off, cut off. Oh yeah,
1: that's that's, that's a, huge a big thing. Um, yeah. and
2: we have very animated discussions from time to time on <laughs> matters which kind of maybe you know are overlapping sometimes in terms of so responsibility then divisions do get blurred sometimes in our case. I think uh, broadly they're set, but um, you know I think there's so many things that are constantly changing mm. in a startup that it's so hard to stay fixed on just one, uh, you know, problem area, or problem statement, uh, and then you jointly have to take certain, you know, calls uh, yeah. together on strategic. Sometimes I do feel like we're spending both of us are spending common time on one particular problem area, but it two heads is better than one is what I believe in yeah. a lot of those things where you can't easily decide what needs to be done. So I think it's a great anchor, great support mechanism uh, because you can trust that person 100%. There's no bias, no ulterior so motives yeah. in either way. Yeah. Right? So I think it's That's very true. Uh, overall I'm very glad that we've been able to. So if to... you had
0: an option of uh, getting a co-founder which is yeah. not your partner yeah. Yeah. and now you're a co-founder if you had to redo, yeah. would you go back and build the business with Lipika and Ashni what do you do with you know we can't else? answer
2: that question <laughs> 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 I'm not I, answer I want to go back and again make it
0: uh, <laughs> uh, you know tricky no, for you no, no, no. it's not going to happen all right so uh, no right. so uh, you know great thank you for lipika <laughs> and ashni to be doing what uh, they do and they get to thank be you. on the camera and they not uh, next thank time mentioning we will uh, we will yeah, uh, think, you yeah, know, get, get, get them mission. get them here not uh, the well. guys who oh, get all the camera attention but though yeah, this is be super fun guys tell me what's next for the consumer uh, who who has enjoyed the you know distagil chocolates, who enjoy the you know, to ice cream, um, what can they expect from the brand in the coming few months, months? or uh, you know um, in the future? What, the future? Will, what 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 do you think is exciting coming for them? So what
1: we've planned to do is we've planned to become sort of a confectionery brand where our hero is the chocolate. So even with our cookies, thirty to forty percent of the cookies actually chocolate. You know, nice. so in the future, yeah, buddy. So now, the uh, for the future, what we've decided to do is uh, we we're trying to replicate again. You know, just go back to the playbook. You know, keep things simple. Uh, replicate the things that people love. Have like a healthier version of a wafer um, chocolate. You know, I think it gets nice. most loved yeah. version, right? So have a healthier version of that. We're planning on launching that just before Christmas. Uh, we also plan on doing. Um, just uh, something, something that is very similar to a snicker bar. Uh-huh. Um, so you have like the chocolate and then the peanut butter filling inside. Uh-huh. So, so that's pretty much it, right? And, and sort of just keep innovating and re-innovating things that you love, yeah. but have a healthier plug to it. I think that is what we're looking at in the future.
0: Awesome! Yeah, terrific. So, uh, Snicker Bar, a new version of the wafer yes. chocolate, yes,
1: and a few others that I don't want to mention. all this
0: is going to happen this year. This year. Oh, the, the, the Awesome. So yes. we have yes. uh, just another quarter to go. So yes. something to look forward. Yes. What's exciting at Noto? Well, I mean
2: most of it is under the app so I'm not able to <laughs> okay. kind of uh, yeah. yeah so it's more uh, more new flavors It's more strategic stuff that's okay. kind of uh, more flavors is a given right sure, every yeah. every sure. month you'll see something new on the on the note of right. menu I think Is there a
0: new experiential uh, since you know you want to keep it more yeah. uh, uh, you know tactical uh, yeah. new experiences in terms of touch point coming do you think that's a Yeah I mean yeah. I think
2: we we do uh, we do feel that there's an opportunity there so that's something we're working on for sure um, a refreshed approach to a lot of the communication, the look, some of those things coming up as well. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on. I think more people are going to have access to Noto. auto. I think that's what we're most excited yeah, about. Yeah. Um, increasing distribution, increasing footprint. Uh, so, yeah, a lot Lot to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting,
0: super. Yeah. So I think uh, next next time we catch up, we will have uh, more flavors to talk about. 100%, uh, yeah. You know, uh, possibly uh, two hundred crore companies sitting uh, next and uh, yeah, for building us. a very awesome category. But this has been super fun, guys. Thank you so much. For uh, us. Thank yeah, you. For, thank you so much uh, for, for you.
2: having us here. It was great.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, really a pleasure to unpack the history. Uh, I yeah. don't know how much people knew about what we spoke today, yeah. but. Uh, uh, I think people would also love. I don't know if it, it gets them to you. Maybe we can drop some discount coupon uh, a code for, sure. for hey, people hey, to hey. you know <laughs> go back and click on the link. 100%. Uh, you know the uh, the sad part is we are not influencers, so we can't yes. people to uh, you know ask them to click on the links. Yeah, but I'm sure for chocolates and ice cream, people would people do that, 100%, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you're watching, listening, yeah. uh, you know, look out for a link. We'll set. We'll drop a special coupon codes, uh, and uh, you can. Um, send your feedback to Varun uh, um, and Abhishek. Uh, tell them how much you love their ice creams and uh, chocolates. Uh, uh, that's a wrap. Thank you very Thanks much, so guys. Much. Uh, Thank you Thank uh, you. Thank great you. talking about uh, the great brands you're building. Thank you. That's a wrap from uh, me as well. Uh, great conversation. I hope you enjoyed. Um, once again, the podcast uh, was brought by Rain Matter Health. Uh, what we do here is to uh, bring these stories of innovators, um, entrepreneurs who are building solutions to help India stay healthy. Rain Matter Health is also uh, supports and invests in uh, founders, uh, entrepreneurs. So if you're someone seeking out help uh, in terms of raising money or anything beyond that, we'll be happy to talk to you. Uh, you can reach out to us via our website, rainmatter.com, or find some interesting guys on LinkedIn. Uh, send them a message. We'll be happy to hear what you build. Um, And uh, look forward to talking to you and uh, uh, see you on the next episode with uh, another uh, innovator and entrepreneur building something in the health category. Thank you. Uh, It would mean a lot if you can send us your feedback. Uh, Feedback if you have tried uh, Dish the Guild, if you have tried Noto. uh, Feedback for me about the podcast, how we can improve. Uh, You can leave your comments on YouTube. You can send me a message on LinkedIn, Twitter, or an email. Uh, that would mean a lot and will help us understand how we are doing. Thank you, and see you next time. Goodbye. Unpack the history. Uh, I yeah. don't know how much people knew about what we spoke today, yeah. but. Uh, uh, I think people would also love. I don't know if it, it gets them to you. Maybe we can drop some discount coupon code uh, for, sure. for yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. to you know 100%. go back and click on the link. Uh, you know the uh, the sad part is we are not influencers, so we of can't course. people to uh, you know ask them to click on the links. Yeah. But I'm sure for chocolates and ice cream, people would people do that, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, so if you're watching, listening, yeah. uh, you know, look out for a link. We'll set. We'll drop a special coupon codes, uh, and uh, you can. Um, Send your feedback to Varun uh, um, and Abhishek. Uh, tell them how much you love their ice creams and uh, chocolates. Uh, uh, that's a wrap. Thank you very Thanks much, so guys. Much. Uh, thank you. Thank, uh, you, thank, uh, you, thank Great you. talking about uh, the great brands you're building. Thank you. That's a wrap from uh, me as well. Uh, great conversation. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, once again, the podcast uh, was brought by Rain Matter Health. Uh, what we do here is to... Uh, bring these stories of innovators, uh, entrepreneurs who are building solutions to help Indians stay healthy. Rain Matter Health is also uh, supports and invests in uh, founders, uh, entrepreneurs. So if you're someone seeking out help uh, in terms of raising money or anything beyond that, we'll be happy to talk to you. Uh, you can reach out to us via our website, rainmatter.com or find some interesting guys on LinkedIn, uh, send them a message, we'll be happy to hear what you build. Um, and uh, look forward to talking to you and uh, uh, see you on the next episode with uh, another uh, innovator and entrepreneur building something in the health category. Thank you. Uh, It would mean a lot if you can send us your feedback. Uh, Feedback if you have tried uh, Dish the Guild, if you have tried Noto. uh, Feedback for me about the podcast, how we can improve. Uh, You can leave your comments on YouTube. You can send me a message on LinkedIn, Twitter, or an email. Uh, That would mean a lot and will help us understand how we are doing. Thank you and see you next time. Goodbye.